0: We are back with the ProHo podcast. We are kicking off the second season, and well, let me just say that I have more momentum, more energy than ever to bring the topic of sex and sexual pleasure to life. For those of you who are new to ProHo, my name is Penda Jai. I'm a Senegalese American artist, storyteller, embarking on a journey to learn and teach others the joys that sexual pleasure and expression can bring to your life, as well as how to convert that pleasure and expression into social equity. Okay, so let's break it down. What does social equity mean? It means having the same status in certain respects pertaining to access, opportunity, and advancement. And we know Black people, especially Black women, have not always been privy to those pillars. So my idea is that we can use pleasure as a means of regaining ownership over our bodies. And by simply experiencing pleasure as ourselves, as Black women, as Black people, as deserving sexual beings, we automatically begin unraveling the constructs that have kept us from our sexual liberties. Like, damn, can we just feel good too? Our first segment is Glows and Grows. So this is a concept that came to fruition during one of our pro-ho events when we were discussing ways to better communicate our sexual desires to partners. Glows point out moments that were orgasmic, euphoric, probably made you come a lot. While grows are things that maybe had you thinking, okay, I'm going to let them finish whatever it is that they're doing right now, but (laughs) this ain't it. So what were the glows and grows in the beginning stages of pro-ho? Well, let's be honest, the initial glow was my mom giving me my first vibrator for Christmas a few years ago. Who knows how I was masturbating before that, because using your fingers, that just <laughs> ain't always it. Anyway, her gift ultimately sparked the conversation on the lack of dialogue on sexual pleasure in Black communities. And so we're here. But what was the grow at the beginning of ProHope? So the grow was our families, friends, mamas, teachers, whoever, all of the people that were continuing that bullshit rhetoric that has us carrying on outdated stereotypes of black women, particularly that have us questioning what is appropriate to desire, act out, express, etc. For example, let's quickly break down these two stereotypes, the Sapphire and the Jezebel. So the sapphire or matriarch is the image of an aggressive, dominating, angry, emasculating Black woman, basically a Black woman that is sexually undesirable. Now, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with this description. Hell, we've seen it all in a good too few many TV shows and films. On the opposite spectrum, we have the Jezebel, the image of an immoral, sexually promiscuous and sexually available Black woman. And of course, there are many other stereotypes in between, but like, damn, can I not be sexually explorative without being promiscuous? Where's the duality? It took me a minute to get to this point. To be honest, these very small boxes that some of us Black women have been forced to fit into are probably cause for some of my mom's conflicting advice when it came to sex. On one hand, she would say, Keep an aspirin between your legs or why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? (laughs) Oh, I fucking hate that advice. And to our point, if someone is undeserving of your sexual energy, keep that shit to yourself. But in every other instance, do what feels good to you and for you. Always make decisions from a place of orgasmic yes. Okay, so back to my mom's confusing ass fuck advice. On the other end of the spectrum, she would say, Think like a white girl, basically meaning have as much ease and whimsy in your approach to sex and dating. Don't take things too seriously and know that you got options. We got options, y'all. We ain't desperate. (laughs) So when I say tap into sexual pleasure as a means of social equity, it's really simple. Just literally do you, gay, straight, bi, non-binary, gender non-conforming, trans, queer, poly. Just by existing as your truest sexual self, you're already creating a new norm, more space for us to exist, new representations that look nothing like old stereotypes. But as Perho approaches its second year in existence, a lot has gone on since then. So what are the glows and grows that are currently happening? So obviously we're quarantined and that means the amount of sex you can have is limitless. This is a glow. No more running late to work because you needed to get a quickie in, no more excuses for your vibrators to run out of juice. It's truly the best time for you to explore yourself, literally like in every way possible. Take your masturbation indulgence to the next level. Find your G spot, try to make yourself squirt. Finally, send porn to your partner. My fave, have phone sex, sex, all of that. However, there is a new order in place. Winter is not coming, but the end of the world just may be, which brings me to our grow during this unknown critical time. Stop hitting up those old folks with a hey big head for some rona sex. If you're not quarantined with them, it's best to abstain from any kind of contact A friend and I were speaking recently about the new social norm and how now it's become typical that you ask your partners, hey, have you been social distancing? Have you been hanging out around a large group of people? Have you been sleeping with other people? Ain't it something that it nearly took a world pandemic for us to start asking pertinent questions to the people that we're engaging with sexually? Our next segment is called The Meat. The dark meat, because I love my meat extra dark, (laughs) but on today's dark meat, we are breaking down ethical non-monogamy, a conversation that seems to be in demand with workshops and prevalent in conversations with friends and families and partners. So I'm going to break down some of the different flavors of ethical non-monogamy and a few reasons why I think communities of color in particular are more hesitant to explore or admit that they're interested in the unfamiliar universe of having multiple partners. And when I say ethical non-monogamy, it means that all parties involved have consented to getting down with the get down. So you're not just out here doing what you wanna do without anyone knowing, but everyone is down for the cause. So first up, we have polyamory. So polyamory is probably the most familiar form of ethical non-monogamy for those of us who are new to the game. It literally means loving many. So polyamorous people are usually interested in living together, growing deeper bonds. A household uh, can be any configuration. Two women, one man. You know, I would like to see three men, one woman, <laughs> a quad, foursome, groups larger in size with, you know, different agreements for each kind of polyamorous relationship. So for a lot of people, how could you not love this idea of just getting to love on as many people as you want? The next is swinging. Uh, The general idea is that you engage in sex play but aren't looking to develop a long-term relationship. Some swingers are in committed relationships and go to swing parties or play parties together. Maybe you're looking for another couple to enjoy or just a single person. Um, I'm really curious if any of you have been to swingers parties or play parties, I think for a lot of black people, like some of us don't even know that this world exists or know how to kind of (laughs) break into this world. I actually dated someone who was a swinger and I was very curious about the experience. So we decided to go to a play party one evening. Uh, it was really private invite only. I basically stayed glued to his hip the entire time and was more interested in watching than participating, but it was really interesting to see people navigating, entering and exiting different play situations as well as approaching and courting, you know, other singles and couples. It's not particularly an experience that I would like to revisit, but I understand, you know, the solace that I can bring to people who are still discovering, kind of defining their own sexuality. It's the perfect playground to explore. It's literally like porn brought to life. And a quick story, I have a friend who was really struggling with erectile unpredictability. He had a difficult time like maintaining an erection during sex. Grew up in a really strict religious Baptist southern household. And had so much shame and trauma around sex and sexual pleasure, his own desire. And I ran into him not too long ago and he told me that he was now in a polyamorous relationship thanks to going to, you know, sex parties and play parties and really along with getting mental health, help from therapists, etc. but... Just that these sex parties really allowed him to find his own kink and to see it in other people, experience it with other people, realize that all of his desires were, were very normative when at times he had been told that they were non-normative or weird or, you know, things like that. So I think it's a really special place if it's for you, like I said, for you to find kind of like your sexual tribe. I think that it can really lend to being an educational tool if, if you're that kind of person who needs to experience things in real life, in real time. If your visual uh, sex parties and play parties can be great for you. Next up, we have polyfidelity. Uh, it's used to describe a closed set of relationships. So whether this is like a triad, three people, or a quad, four people, more, you're sexually exclusive with all of the people in this relationship. So there's no going outside of this system, quote unquote. Um, you are only having sex with the people who are in this um In this arrangement, so I was laughing when I was reading about polyfidelity because there's um, Dion Cole's Netflix special. He kind of touches on this when he's talking about, you know, how men, if you're caught cheating on, you know, your woman with another woman, this guy was kind of like to his girlfriend um, you know, yeah, you know, I've been seeing this other girl, but you know, I'm only seeing her because I know that the two of you would really get along. I think you guys have a lot of things in common and you know, maybe we should invite her over. And like, if that goes well, if y'all get along, like maybe she can move in. (laughs) And I just kind of thought about that because it's for some people it's the ideal situation, right? Like you can have your cake and eat it too. Next up, we have primary relationships and secondary relationships. So some people configure their relationships with the primary relationship, meaning kind of like, you know, they're number one. And then the other person is kind of on the side. They're the secondary relationship. So some people this works for, not myself. I don't think I could be in this kind of relationship, but others find it kind of insulting. And I feel like I'm with the latter group, Um It can make the secondary person feel, well, you know, secondary. (laughs) I have a friend who, you know, was dating a married couple for some time and this really worked for her. She knew she was the secondary person and she was fine, you know, engaging with them emotionally and physically, and then leaving and and knowing that she wasn't part of that core, that, you know, the core relationship. So it worked for her. And I think she got a lot out of it of, you know, vibing well with these people and not having to define too many rules, knowing that like at the end of the night, she was going to go home, but but really still engaging in the emotional and intellect and sexual relationship but still knowing her place. So for some people it works, just not me. (laughs) Okay, next up we have sexually monogamous polyamory. That was a lot of words that I just threw at you. Sexually monogamous polyamory. But this is basically when you're sexually monogamous, you only have sex with one person, but you may have an emotional or intellectual relationship with someone else. And, you know, there are folks who maybe are married or have a long term partner, but then they also have someone else that they're in love with and have a deep erotic attraction to you, but aren't physical with. And everyone is involved and fully on board with this kind of situation. And, you know, the people, the main people are sexually monogamous, but emotionally polyamorous. I feel, I kind of feel like this setup could work for me and for a lot of people. Um, I think it's possible to have deep emotional connections with more than one person if you allow yourself to be open and honest to possible connections manifesting. You know, I'm sure a lot of us have been in scenarios where we do sense and feel a deep connection to someone outside of our relationship, no matter how brief, because energy is a real thing. Yes, but consciously, you know, we choose to ignore some of that energy because we're in monogamous relationships and you carry respect for your partner. So I'm not sure how likely sometimes this can be because for myself, I feel like if I have a really strong emotional and intellectual conversation with someone, more than likely it's gonna turn physical. So that's one that I'm kind of interested in exploring, but I think it's, you know, you're walking on thin ice. You got to tread carefully with that one. So next is one that probably a lot of us are really familiar with. Again, it's open marriage. So this is kind of like an umbrella term that encompasses many different arrangements and agreements. Typically, you know, there's some flexibility to a marriage to explore sexual encounters or relationships with others. But, you know, it can look really different uh, from one open marriage to the next. Some marriages maybe lean towards polyamory where, you know, you're having sex with, you know, you having deeper ties to your lovers, deeper emotional ties. When others lead, lean more towards swinging and like one off, more fleeting, just sexual encounters. So it varies depending on. The marriage and, you know, communication is what you gotta do. Like ask your partner, what, what is it that we need? Spice it up. Keep things curious. I always say that curiosity. I know the saying is curiosity kills the cat, but I think actually with sex, curiosity is what fuels the flame and the desire. So I think, you know, we're not the same sexual beings that we were three years ago, three months ago, three days ago. So we change, we evolve. And I think like being curious and, and keeping your partner in the loop of the ways that you are changing and have new desires is really how you keep things alive. And I think so it's important to communicate with your partner if, if you're feeling like you wanna try something new sexually. And if it's not for your partner, great, you can work on something else. But you know, I think if it's something that comes to mind, it's definitely worth expressing. And lastly, we have everything in between because, you know, people are unique in building and constructing all kinds of setups, friends with benefits, married, dating, polyfidelity, swinging, etc. cetera, all of the things that we just covered above. And so I think the possibilities are endless and just continue being curious, continue growing, be open, be open-minded. And so just share all of the creativity. That's all I'm saying out there. Like, there are so many ways that we can be intimate with different people and establish connections with others. So why not, you know, broaden the possibilities of who we can love. I'm not saying it's for any, (laughs) any and everybody. I have not been in in an ethical non-monogamous relationship. So, you know, I'm learning just as, as much as you are. Um, but I'm curious, I'm curious because, I know a lot of folks out here who are in monogamous relationships and they are shit. People are cheating, they're breaking up, there's lying. So maybe, maybe we gotta think about this a little bit more. Let's break down some of the myths that seem to come up when we're considering if ethical non-monogamy would work for us. So one of the myths is that ethical non-monogamy is just another excuse to cheat. So what are your thoughts on this? (laughs) My thought is that the reality is a lot of people are unfaithful in their relationships, particularly in monogamous relationships, and there's plenty of documented adultery in every studied human society. So I think this perception is particularly harmful because in reverse, ethical non-monogamy actually promotes honest dialogue and It avoids deception and it has more communication about desires and needs. Um, Another myth is that ethical non-monogamy relationships don't last or they're unstable when in reality... These relationships have equitable, there's that word again, (laughs) equitable levels of commitment, longevity, satisfaction, passion, and maybe even lower levels of jealousy compared to monogamous relationships, which brings me to jealousy. I think that is such a crucial part in the functioning of all relationships, friendships, families, sexual relationships, all of it. And I think when I talk to my black friends, my brown friends, jealousy seems to be something that people are just not willing to face in themselves when it comes to why their relationships don't really last and prosper. So I've been so lucky to work with um, a black psychiatrist and sex therapist, Dr. Travis Meadows. He's incredible. You should look him up if you don't know who he is, but he says that a lot of our jealousy stems from previous trauma and past relationships. Say it again. A lot of our jealousy stems from previous trauma and past relationships. So what are the calls to action? These are the pro-ho calls to action. Force yourself, number one, force yourself to get comfortable with the unknown, Uh, You know, a key component of jealousy is what psychologists call the intolerance to uncertainty, basically meaning you fill your brain up with the worst possible scenario. You come up with the most negative story. So if your your partner is like, yo, I'm going to go to dinner and meet up with an old friend from college, what do we do? We're like, oh, hell no. They're going out to dinner. They're probably going to go to her place after his place after they're going to get it on. Like we fill our brains with the most toxic negative stories that sometimes are the furthest from the truth. So we're fueling our jealousy with this information and uncertainty, but it's not necessarily the truth. So jealousy doesn't necessarily mean that you're an insecure person. You know, it helps you to understand your personal insecurities and the underlying reasons for why you react the way that you do. So once you kind of pinpoint the root of your jealousy, you can begin to move on from it. So, you know, if you realize that you're jealous because you're not getting enough attention from your partner, you can suggest... Planning more activities that help you bond. You know, if you're part, if you always are thinking that your partner lies to you, then maybe you need to share that with your partner and think back to whoever made you have these trust issues and get to the bottom of it quick, because it's a real, real easy way to run people away out of your life and in relationships. So, in regards to ownership over your partner's body, I think this one is such a crucial thing that we have to get over in order to have successful relationships, whether they're monogamous or ethically non-monogamous, whatever. You know, a lot of us don't even realize the way that our, the ways that our bodies have been governed, whether it's laws that say who we can marry, who we can have sex with, if and when you can give birth. All of these rules exist and have existed to control our bodies, but no other body belongs to you except your own. So if you find yourself feeling controlling in any relationship, consensual non-monogamy or monogamy, you know, it might be time to think about your own value individually and, and before you engage with other people. Like how do you How You know, you can't tell other people what to do with their body. You hope that you're in a relationship with people who respect you and have respect for themselves. But you can't, you know, think that by saying someone has to be monogamous that you're going to control who and, you know, when they engage sexually with other people. So what about religion and family pressure? This, y'all, this, this is the one. (laughs) This is the one that I know black people really have issues with. Religion and family pressure. I swear. So when I first started doing a lot of this work, I thought that the reason why a lot of us black and brown people were obstructed from our sexual liberties came from cultural influence, right? Just the way that we were raised um, with our families and you know, seeing different people in our communities, how they approached sex, how they spoke about sex, and you know, what we were taught. Um, but the more work that I did, the more research, the more conversations I was having with the community, I realized that a lot of our stigmas and taboos. Are derived from religion. And I think religion plays such a large part in Black communities, uh, in particular. Even when you're thinking back to slavery and how the Black church was a pillar of community and solace for people and how we carry that into our day and age. And I, you know, just saw a meme on Instagram about, you know, with coronavirus, like this is a time for all those kids who wanted to skip Sunday service and now as adults still skip Sunday service, but still say their prayers to God. Like, Church and community, I think, go hand in hand in the Black community. And going back to what I was saying about my friend who grew up in this strict Christian household and how shame was all around masturbation and how he really didn't feel that he had the freedom or the liberty to express himself, express his desires. And I think that's where it kind of is the catch-22 is, did God give us these desires? So is it wrong to act out on something that is so naturally um, part of us that is really difficult to ignore? Um, I think that's a question that is ever evolving and that I'm still trying to, you know, figure out myself. My father is Senegalese and even going back to Senegal and, and observing my Muslim family and, you know, seeing my uncles and, you know, seeing polygamy being so prevalent. But then also seeing my female cousins, you know, not really being able to exercise their rights sexually or dress how they want to dress or, you know, act you know how they choose to sexually is really interesting and it's something that i'm really i'm really interested in exploring further and i don't have the right answers to this but i do think that it's a really really magnified magnified um obstacle when it comes to sex for for people of color it's it's a battle between you know what you've been taught think about what you've been taught from Church, from your family, from you know your community, from your Bible, from your Quran, from wherever, about sex and how you should treat your body, and that sex is purely for reproduction. There's there's so much there, um, and I'm excited to do some more research on on those topics. But I think that um, when I did a poll at another event, a lot of people I think are growing out of it. A lot of people are saying that you know. These religions, um, I think for our generation, a lot of people are choosing to be more spiritual and less religious. And I think that that has something to do with us feeling like, you know, I'm going to create my own narrative and I'm going to perform and explore life in ways that feel good for me while still observing that I believe that there's some source or some God in the universe. So I think things are definitely changing. And I'm I'm really curious to see how we continue to evolve and and find ourselves in in this space of religion. And it's really evident that things are morphing. I think another obstacle that has us um, really conflicted about certain sexual experiences is just family judgment. I think, you know, how many of us can really go home to our family and say, hey, this is my, you know, boyfriend and this is also my girlfriend. And, you know, sometimes we get down with this couple here. I think that that's a really rare experience for us to walk into our household and feel confident expressing that kind of um, dynamic. Um, I think also a lot of us have difficulty thinking about non-monogamous relationships in terms of our children and childbearing. What, What do we tell our kids when we're a married couple and, you know, we go out and we, you know, pick up a couple? Do we, are we You know, open with our children once they get to a certain age. Are we open with them from the jump and just being like, this is who we are. This is how we experience pleasure and love and emotional and physical contact. I think that that's a really big thing. Like a family unit, how does it survive if you're not in a monogamous relationship? So if you have questions, if you have insight, if you've been in these situations, I would love to hear what you have to say. Please, you know, send me an email, send me a note, hit me up on Instagram. I think that these topics are so critical to how we explore sex and progressing and changing the narrative and creating new norms and really defining what is our own curiosity around sexual relationships and what works for us, I think a lot of us have come to terms with monogamy not really feeling good, so if it 's not monogamy what are what else is it and if it is something else, how do we tap into it fully? How do we let go of our these constructs that are holding us back? how do we Tell our families, how do we deal with religious pressure? Our last segment of the show is the Black Dr. Ruth. This is my favorite part of the show where anonymous callers ask their best sex and dating advice. So let's go ahead and get into this and see what our callers have to say. What really is a sub or a dom? Okay, this is a great question. I'm surprised it hasn't come up before, but the question was, what really is a Dom or a sub? So Dom sub life is part of, you know, this whole BDSM world, which stands for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission and sadism and masochism. So basically people who practice dominance and submission get extreme extreme pleasure in power play. So this can include an exploration of many roles, emotions, activities, you know, a, a girl loves a good choke, a good spank, you know, that sparks pleasure. And ultimately, this is kind of your your kink world. And so obviously, we're not trying to send people to the hospital. So there are boundaries, there are parameters, there's a discussion of uh, what people feel is safe, what feels good. And within those parameters, people get it in. So the dominant partner usually protects leads, like guides the sub. Um, and the submissive is more, you know, a fragile person there to please the dom. But if you really think about it, I think a lot of these dynamics already exist within relationships and it doesn't mean that it's only sexual, but maybe in other areas of relationship, those type of dynamics already play out the dom and sub roles. Um, so basically, one partner is dominant and the other submits to their partner. Uh, I like to say that you know these rule ro- these roles can change. It's not always one person is is submissive the entire time and the other person is dom the entire time. The word is switcher. Some people go back and forth and and kind of enjoy you know, being really present in the moment. I think that's what Dom and sub relationships can be really great for. Instead of falling into a routine of, you know, one person always leading or the other person just following or kind of getting into this predictable kind of like switch, you know, we're in doggy style, now we're in missionary. This kind of BDSM and kink world, Dom sub world really allows for people to direct, to lead, to follow. And don't get it twisted. Like, people who are subs it takes a lot of work mentally, emotionally, sexually. You are not just lying there and like giving yourself over to them and, and not having any say in you getting off in this experience. I think it takes a lot of control. It takes a lot of power to give over that control. So it's, it can be really enjoyable. And I think, you know, if it's something you're into, obviously consent is important, but you know, try it out, tell your partner that you're interested in BDSM. And there's so much, there's, it's so vast and it can really work for you in any way. So it doesn't mean that you have to, if bondage, if whipping, (laughs) if like pain, that's not your shit. Cool. Start out with a little slap, a little spank, a little choke, you know, take it easy. Don't (laughs) just, please, no, we don't want any accidents. Um, Okay. Let's go ahead and hear from our next caller and see what they have to say. Um. My question is, how are you taking care of your mental health um, given the unprecedented circumstances uh, we find ourselves in? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think all of us are still trying to figure out how do we take care of ourselves in this unknown time? I think for me, it's really just trying to be as present as I can and accepting whatever emotions come. If it's being sad one day, if it's being happy one day, you know, I think the weather fluctuating here in New York has really got me just kind of all over the place, but I find that I'm spending like so much time on social media, even weird, just like on my phone checking for emails, like bitch, nobody is emailing you on a Sunday at 4 PM, like put the phone down. Um, so I think I'm just trying to find more space to be quiet, to quiet my mind, to, uh, just listen, listen to myself without having to be preoccupied and and busy with with TV or with the internet or with creating, you know, that I think that meme is floating around so much on social media, of like this does not have to be like your greatest creative project ever during uh Corona. So I think that that's really true. It's like, you know, you can still take your time to create things and make things. It doesn't have to happen in a day and overnight. And I know a lot of us have things that we've been sitting on or, you know, that we want to get to. So I think I'm just being patient with myself and allowing myself to feel whatever feels right in that moment. I had a friend and, you know, one day I just literally broke down and she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, you know, I think this whole time I've been just kind of icing over everything and saying like, yeah, this is going to end soon. I'm fine. I love working from home. But in reality, you know, it is, it is scary. I have family in France. I have family in Italy. And when you really, when I don't disconnect and try to avoid those feelings, uh, you know, it's, it is a really deep, place to go to and I think some of us are afraid to go there especially if you're alone and you know you don't have anyone in your home to kind of console you or have physical touch with so I think that's that's how I'm dealing I'm trying to just be still and be present and accept every moment and every emotion as a valid one and tomorrow's a new day and it will change. That wraps up the first episode of the Ho podcast season two. Thanks so much for tuning in. I can't wait to drop more fire every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope that you got a little bit more information on Dom subs, on ethical non-monogamy, taking care of yourself during this really uncertain time. Please Whatever you do, I hope you're still coming, a lot. (laughs) If that's masturbation, having sex with your partner that you're quarantined with, phone sexting, all of that good-ish, take care of yourself and we'll see you next week, peace.